The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 49 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show podcast proudly presents to you this look at the decade of decadence. A little indulgence for your day, as we bring Saturday night to whenever you damn well please. So let's welcome to the stage your trio's tag team champions. The Master Library, Kevin, it's Tricky Hellions. The Educator of Access. And Sweet Maddie Treats. As they bring to you Saturday night's main event. The House Show Podcast Way. Welcome everyone to another edition of The House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Matty Treats. And I'm joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my right is the educator of excellence educator how's it going today not well man not well at all it has been a long long week uh it was a fantastic start to the week finally getting a pre-order in that i've been wanting to get and then i had a rough day at school and i am now incapacitated waiting for a potential mri to find out if i've got a blown ACL, MCL, it's not good. All right. Well, before we get into that, let me introduce <laughs> the man to our left, Mr. Kevin Hellions. Kevin, how are you doing today? Uh, better than educator, it sounds like. Oh, uh, doing all right so far. Um, you know, I have a stitch in my side and, uh, you know, my knee knows when it's going to rain. But uh, in comparison, I think I'm doing okay. Yeah, I think everyone knows I like to blow money. Uh, the educator here may have blown an ACL. Kevin, what have you blown this past week? <laughs> um, my colon out. Did you have a meat mountain sandwich? No. <laughs> oh, um, baby. Uh, too much hummus. Um, I do have an update on the fast food situation, but let's not bury the lead here. Educator. I, I, Kevin, do you hear that? Do you hear that no, that no, that noise? No. Oh. Is it time for the educator news network? Let's get an update on his injury status. Educator News Network. Educator. What's going on over there? What happened? What percent uh, are you operating at? Oh, it's it's not a good percent. Let me tell you, sirs. It's uh, not good. You guys have known me for a while. I've always... I've been a big guy pretty much all my life. Um, sports. I played football. I played uh, baseball. I was catcher for a while. Junior high and early high school. Play at baseball. Now, I, w- I was also catcher. And that's just because they put all the fat kids as catcher. Pretty much, yeah. Everyone knows this. Yes. We're the goalies. We're the catchers. We are, yes. So um, I've been noticing uh, for the last couple of weeks, especially at the game store, anytime I would, you know, squat down catcher's position because I'm digging out discs from the bottom drawer or I'm pulling uh, games out of a bottom shelf from a display case, when I'd go down and my right knee would kind of click or lock, and when I'd slowly get back up, it would kind of click again. 
been noticing that for a couple of weeks and um, you know I've been just trying to be as easy on it as possible so I'm at school my regular uh, my my eight my seven to three full-time job I'm a high school teacher this year I am teaching driver education full-time at my school district and we were doing a hands-on lesson uh, over at the bus garage in an enclosed area. Had the driver ed car, had my personal vehicle, showing the kids under the hood, fluids to monitor, how to connect jumper cables correctly to not fry the battery, how not to electrocute yourself, that kind of thing. And then doing the lesson on how to appropriately change a tire, where the jack goes under the car, how to lift up, how to remove the lug nuts. And in one of my lessons, uh, with a group of students squatting down next to the car jack and I just I heard my knee lock but when I got up and I just twisted just a little bit uh, I heard something pop and it was bloody murder I how I finished that lesson for the day for that class period was crazy but I had been limping the rest of the day I immediately went to orthopedic uh, up here where I live they did immediate x-rays they looked at it and they said there's nothing physically broken but they have significant concerns about arthritis they saw bone spurs they saw bone cysts in my knee in the x-ray and then they're like we need to schedule a couple of different MRIs with contrast without contrast uh, because we're concerned that there's some ligament damage not good <laughs> so i am embraced up i'm on pain meds uh the pain meds are making me drowsy sleepy but they are really not taking the edge off of my mo the pain and my mobility is just terrible well we appreciate you being on the show with us putting in a triple h tearing quads like performance we're here through the pain we're here throwing up the big x to make sure that you are okay. Uh, so, Kevin, do you have any questions for the PKM? The PKM? Yeah, the painkiller map. The painkiller map. Uh, I do. So, we, despite not being in the same grade in high school, had French class together and, of course, hung out all the time. Right. I remember your pinky, I believe it was, yep. you needed surgery on. Yeah. Uh, I think you have a metal in there. Yep. I don't recall anything because the description of this, this sounds like something was there for a while. And I can't recall anything for your knee. I remember the finger. I remember a back injury you had at college. Right. But I can't, like, this doesn't sound like out of nowhere. Like, it sounds like you did it for a while and this was just like the 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 moment that pushed it over finally. Out of nowhere? Would it, would it be called an RKL? Quite possibly. Uh, a right knee operation. <laughs> Ouch. Out of nowhere. That's, that's, that's not good, man. I'm way, sorry. I feel bad. Way too soon. I feel, bad. Way I feel too bad, soon. buddy. Go answer his question. I'm sorry. Um, I, I've had a lot of ankle issues. I uh, few really... Uh, uh, rolled ankles over time. I, at one point, I severe sprains. I've even had in casts uh, for oh, for my like sports yeah. and stuff. Uh, but nothing really knee. I just honestly, I think that um, you know, I'm 42. I'm a big guy. My body is is starting to really start to tell me, hey, 
you need to start th- reprioritizing things here. And uh, yeah, it's just not good. Not good at all. So um, popping pills like they're like their Pez candy. Uh, sleeping a lot since I've been on these meds for the last couple of days since this happened. I, uh, I'm waiting for my insurance to approve uh, a couple of MRIs that I'm supposed to have scheduled for next week. So hopefully by the time this airs, I will have had those MRIs and something uh, a little bit more definitive. But I am absolutely not in a good place right now. It's crazy. I'm, I'm hoping it's a sprain, a strain or whatever. Still painful, but not a full-blown surgery uh, one. I, I desperately don't want this to be surgery because I don't want to take – I just – I can't sit still. I hate being away from work. And it's not a matter of being away because I'm concerned about, like, financial means and stuff. I mean, I have sick time. And that's fine. Um, I'm just – I don't like being away from my classroom. I like to do things my way, a certain way. I just have problem. I have difficulty letting things go when I things that are no longer in my control and I can't do the way I want them done kind of deal. So, but we're just going to have to tough it up, deal, figure out what the plan is. Hopefully I'll have some answers sooner rather than later. And hopefully this is just, uh, you know, tough it out a little bit of rehab, get through it. And, uh, start reprioritizing uh, lifestyles and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you might need to sign up for like a nearby Planet Fitness or something. Like, hey, we can't repair the tendon without surgery, but you can build up all the muscles around there. Right. And have that help out a lot. Absolutely. It's tough, tough, tough go of it. But, you know, you yourself, though, you went, you you know, you went to high school and college. Where'd you go to college? Uh, well, I was graduated school of hard knocks, man. Yeah. Apparently it was uh, Tegan Knox, so. No. <laughs> Declan like that one too. I can't. That's it. That's the only. That's my last uh, ACL joke. Oh, too soon. We too may go into the. Don't worry though. <laughs> Just because we know we got a lot of fans out there, we may uh, we may check in in the Educator News Network throughout the show though, at random <laughs> points. So just so you know. Um, but I did want to follow up last week. We talked about the Arby's. Uh, meat mountain sandwich guys uh, there's a new sandwich on the block in the fast food world uh, which i'm addicted to my friends you did it huh so no not that one i, oh. I don't have an arby's by me to be oh. honest i went to wendy's folks wendy's has a new sandwich wendy's has a jalapeno popper chicken sandwich oh that sounds oh. amazing that's it probably is. why i blew out my knee let's be honest that's why kevin blew out his colon so Mm -hmm. um it's it's uh, you know spicy chicken jalapeno cheddar uh melty cheddar on top that uh cream cheese stuffing that's layered on there as well um it's so good guys if you get a chance go to wendy's with the jalapeno popper chicken sandwich just in time for lent as always so what's uh what's long john silver's new lent based item (laughs) Jalapeno fish? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, sack of twenty sack. hush puppies to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just getting crumblies. No, so yeah, crumblies are fine for you, right? It'd be all right. Speaking of crumblies, how's your knee going? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'm done. I see. I 
I'm done. I'm done. I, I love the educator. You know that. So. <laughs> Why don't we get started to Saturday night's main event number nine? We are live from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. The date that it was taped was December 14th, 1986, but it aired on January 3rd. Um, this really was the New Year's weekend show. They they allude to it throughout commentary. Uh, what did you guys think of the, the presentation of the show? I was a fan of the first two matches of the show. After that, it kind of just ugh. not too too not too 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 much of a fan. Tough to get through towards the end. Piper match was interesting in that, of course, setting up the feud for WrestleMania, and I guess the same with JYD and and uh, King Harley Race. Uh, the final wrap up that we'll hear about the main event. I'm glad I'm not covering it. <laughs> there was more interview than match. That's all I'm going to say. Um, we've speculated before on what the actual order for the crowd was versus the order that we see things on TV are. This one is so clearly edited from what I'm assuming the crowd saw. For one, just the setting up of the cage alone. The This big blue steel cage took longer to set up, I believe, than just you know the current version where you drop a cage down that's already assembled from the rafters and just lower it down here. But just to clean up the ring, set up the cage for all of that, whatever else the crowd goes through, you can see a little bit in the background of this Vince and Jesse talk. It's just, this one's a glaring obvious one of the order of the show is not the right. order that the fans saw in the arena. Well, I mean, we went to that raw 97, the week or two before WrestleMania 13, where they did have a cage match. That was the main event. It was the uh, Bret Hart Sid match, right? Yep. And uh, so we got to see like the time it took setting it up, tearing it down for the post segment. And then it was there was like a what Sunday Night Heat or a jacked or a metal taping or something afterwards that we got to watch. So, yeah, Big Blue. I like Big Blue. I'm a fan of that cage. But I from all the different stories I've heard and interviews and podcasts, I mean, that thing just destroyed everybody's body. And Vince, Vince taking the being in the, one of the last matches in it, that St. Valentine's Day massacre with Steve Austin was like kind of like, oh, time to reprioritize and do things differently. I mean, uh, treats you work, you work retail and I have put in my time and educator you've put in your time. It's always interesting how employees can complain about something not working well, not feeling safe, um, being a detriment. But until the boss has to do it himself. You guys can just deal with it. That's why I have my rule. I, I, I'm the Vince McMahon of the store. So <laughs> if you're not, I will not force you, right? Uh, yeah. If I won't do it, uh, I'm not going to force you to do it. So I'm always the one that they call when I have to clean up a mess in the bathroom and stuff like that. Cause it doesn't bother me. So, and it bothers all them, but that's another story <laughs> for another day. Um, I, I'm surprised they haven't brought Big Blue back. You know, it seems like a uh, Gargano would want to bring Big Blue back at one of or, these or like a Legends Night kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, just for the just for the uh, the hell of it. I was shocked though going in, knowing that this aired on January third, and seeing in the past we've had Thanksgiving, uh, you know, um, Mother's Day, uh, Halloween. Th- there's nothing like this. Was very straightforward. It was just five matches. There really is no. Not a lot of vignettes. Uh, there's a there's a few interviews in between, but nothing really crazy. Um, 
did that kind of shock you guys that they didn't go through and do like a new year celebration or anything like that? Yeah. There was no like kind of like theme based to the show and they're still kind of far out. I mean, technically they're taping this December 86 mania isn't for three plus months away. So uh, we're still in an era where there's only one really major pay-per-view. I mean, they talk about a little bit with, uh, Harley Race and the King of the Ring. That was a house show only deal. Uh, how he had won both tournaments, then that's why he's got the gimmick. But there was no like real like dedicated theme to the show. It was just a matter of hey, it's a Saturday night, it's a new year. But they really didn't even hype that much about Happy New Year. Blah blah blah. May have mentioned it in passing a couple of times, but that's it. You know, I hadn't even thought of it beforehand, but you're right. That would have been an easy thing to do little bumpers throughout the show of, oh, our New Year's resolution this year is we're going to win the tag team titles, baby. And, you know, someone comes out, cuts a nice baby face promo. Oh, I just my New Year's resolution is to perform in front of all you great WWF fans, like just stupid little stuff like that. But it would have been promo time for everyone, at least. Yeah, I just I just thought it was a little shocking. But when we run down our little stingers at the front here, um, so we have Bobby the Brain Heenan with Paul Orndorff. We have Hogan inside the cage. Uh, Jimmy Hart with Adrian Adonis. Uh, mean Gene interviewing George the Animal Stingle. A King Handsome Harley Race. And then a JYD uh, to kind of get the, the crowd and the card and get everyone on the same page. What did you guys think of this? Anything stick out from the um, from all of these? Something stuck out for me in the little mini vignettes. And then later on when there were promos that were embedded to hype up for the match. Um, Adrian Adonis. When he does his promos on camera, like when he's like in, in the camera, his eyes are like closed the entire time. He doesn't look. I didn't even see Yo, it's crazy. And especially when he does his the promo right before the match where it's him and Jimmy Hart and, and Gene Okerlund, his eyes are like closed the entire time. And I'm like, is is he really just is that's really his resting eye position? But then when you see him five seconds later, ten seconds later walking to the ring, his eyes are just bright open, walking nor you know, looking normally. So I don't know if that was just something he did to get him through his interviews to try to help him manage nerves or anything like that but i just that stuck out to me hmm. i didn't even check i didn't even notice that now i want to go back and look yep. definitely the watch the interview immediately before his match with piper it's so much more noticeable and then when he's doing his entrance right afterwards it's it's night and day it's crazy hmm. um i did think for hyping up the beginning of the show here and get people on it hulk cutting the promo in the cage i would if i was flipping through channels i'd say well i'm here I have now decided what I'm watching now tonight. I have to see this. And not only it's not just like the cage, like it's in the back. It's like in the arena and the dark the door with the darkened background and everything. It looks so cool. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So we get the intro and then we get Jesse and Vince. Uh, once again, they're the commentary team. Uh, and then we get mean Gene uh, talking with Bobby, the brain Heenan and Paul Orndorff. And then we get mean Gene talking with Hogan, trying to get a set up for the, um, for the cage match. And then uh, we kind of see um, Danny Davis come out and he's not the assigned referee. What is this little uh, seeds that they're planting before the match? So we are in the process of a heel referee uh, being involved with a bunch of shenanigans 
that are costing faces matches that are just allowing the heels to take advantage. Uh, they've, I believe at this point that this had been taped, they've already done an angle or will be doing an angle where Danny Davis is the heel referee and he allows blatant double teaming and the Hart Foundation are able to just basically breeze through uh, the British Bulldogs and win the tag titles. Granted, Dynamite Kid was injured and most of the match. Uh, because Dynamite Kid was injured and how they handled it, they had Danny Davis like focusing his efforts on being on the outside of the ring, trying to get Dynamite Kid up into his corner while the Hart Foundation are double teaming on Davy Boy Smith for pretty much almost all the match. But they're they're doing this persona where we've got a heel referee that is you know helping the the heels cheat, giving them advantages over the faces, and in some cases you know that he gets away with it. In other cases, he gets caught in the faces you know after losing their match or being disqualified unfairly or whatever. You know they get their comeuppance and they they take out their their frustrations on Danny Davis. I do remember this happening this whole angle for it but to see it building slowly is interesting because i just remember like the big pieces of it from later on um order of refusing to be interviewed having bobby talk from was interesting though like just absolutely refusing to talk for it and then still coming out to real american which i do not remember before this but god it's I, great i don't at all either that he was using hogan's music as part of his entrance it's crazy um yeah so so match number one though is is paul order versus uh, Hulk Hogan inside the big blue, uh, for the world title, uh, educator, uh, one, what did you think of the match? And, uh, you know, did you, did you enjoy everything? I remember this match watching it growing up, uh, this match being a lot longer when I watched it live. I remember specifically watching this episode of Saturday night's main event probably as, I mean, we're talking, this is 87. So I'm like nine years old. I just turned nine. So I remember watching this and I re- I just this I thought this match was a lot longer and just maybe just how it was edited with for the network also with the commercial in between after the double cage drop uh and the tie so to speak uh angle in the middle I thought this was a lot longer but going back and now watching it again for the first time and oh gosh probably 20 25 years um I, I actually I like this match. This was fun. And the angle with the two referees, one being a heel referee siding with Orndorf and Heenan, and the other being, you know, Joey Morella, who was Gorilla Monsoon's kid. And uh the bumps that we end up seeing this referee take throughout the night in this match as well as in another match later. Um, yeah, it's just this was fun. Uh kind of like the big blow-off culmination of the Hogan Orndorf. Uh, feud and i don't believe at this point we have uh we have not taped any of the build-up to wrestlemania so andre has not turned heel yet has not sided with bobby heenan so this is like heenan's next employ so to speak to get the wwf championship we've seen bundy attempt and not be successful we've seen hercules hernandez attempt and not be successful under Bobby Heenan's guidance, and now we're going to see a Paul Orndorff. We've seen him once, and now we're getting a cage match again. This is the culmination, and I I like this match a lot. Uh, Honestly, I think so far in our series, this is my favorite match for Saturday Night's Main Event to this point. 
very well booked, very well done, very creative. My respect for Orndorff is shooting up every time he's on here. Like modern era where you got raw belt smackdown belt with more frequent title changes no one's holding belt three years like hogan did there in this reign orndorff would have held the world title at some point like he had the look he was good in the ring like he absolutely should have had something i've been very impressed with him and th- this match i at first and and i mentioned it for the edit of the show i don't know if how they edit what happens in the match if they just planned it that well or if they edited it that well oh, but i would so drawn in with it i mean obviously it's taped on the 16th so they had weeks to do the camera work uh to insert the time lapse in there to show them hitting at the same time so and with the angles in which both were physically where the feet are hitting the floor i mean yeah it's fantastic editing especially given the fact when the initial drop happened you only see hogan's feet initially hit first uh because there's only a shot on hogan's side of the ring you don't see a cross shot of everybody, um, of both guys, you know, on opposite sides of the ring, where you just see the shot from Hogan hitting first. So, all right, educator, why don't you go ahead and uh, break this one down for us? All right, so we have an introduction of uh, Bobby Heenan leading the crew to the ring. We got Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff coming to the ring with Danny Davis in tow, who we hear on commentary that Jesse Ventura is saying, well, he's the senior official and Vince McMahon is like, well, I have on my sheet here that the assigned referee is Joey Morella. So we've got bickering already back and forth between the commentary team as to who should be and should not be the ref. And now we have Hulk Hogan coming down to the ring with his theme music. He does a lap around the ring, shaking the cage, really trying to get the crowd into the match as to uh, what to expect as he finally steps into the ring. Hulk Hogan climbs over the top, tears off his T-shirt, fires it out to the crowd. And then as he steps over to the top rope and then eventually jumps down to into the ring, immediately Paul Orndorff attacks him, jumps him from behind um, and just goes to town. We've got Orndorff pulling off the WWF title and whipping Hogan with it a few times. Uh, I noticed that when he was done whipping Hogan with the title, he threw the title towards the corner and it made like a loud clang. I'm like kind of shocked. He was kind of rough with the physical title belt itself. Um, damn, wondering if it was, you know, damage and whatnot. Uh, but after that whipping, Orndorff immediately tries to win the match by escaping out through the door. And Hogan is able to give chase and grab onto his leg and drag him back into the ring. Orndorff does a few stomps and drops a few elbows on a downed Hogan and then attempts a second escape out through the door. But again, Hogan is successful in grabbing onto a leg and dragging Orndorff back in. We see continued stomps and elbow drops from Paul Orndorff to a downed Hogan. And then eventually Orndorff tries to escape by climbing the cage. And Orndorff is completely over the top of the cage and is about halfway down the other side. And we see Hulk Hogan capable of scurrying up the cage and grabbing Orndorff by the hair. Even Jesse Ventura said on commentary, if Orndorff was bald, he would be hit world heavyweight champion right now. Hogan grabbing Orndorff by the hair, dragging him back over the top of the cage. He ends up ramming his head into the top of the cage as he's kind of like pivoting his body over the cage. Eventually, Hogan gets Orndorff back into the cage. 
He pulls off his headband and starts choking Paul Orndorff with that headband. Jesse Ventura is just going nuts on commentary about what a tactic that is. How can McMahon deny the blatant cheating, blah, blah, blah. And like McMahon's like, well, I don't see it now after like Hogan tosses the, uh, the headband away. So it was fun interaction between Jesse and Vince. Eventually, we see Hogan um, attempting to uh, climb the cage after the choke and for an escape, but Orndorff is able to catch him and drag Hogan back in to the cage itself. They start battling back and forth. Eventually, Hogan hits a running punch off of the ropes to knock Orndorff down. Hogan tries to escape through the door of the cage, but Bobby Heenan had slid the latch shut and stood in front of it to try to prevent Joey Morella from having access to the latch. So that delay kind of slowed Hogan down's attempt to try to escape. But again, Paul Orndorff was able to grab onto a leg and, and prevent Hogan from escaping the cage itself. Uh, Hogan ends up getting a headbutt delivered to his abdomen by a Paul Orndorff. That kind of drops Hogan down to his knees. We see stomps and elbow drops onto a kneeling Hogan and a down Hogan. And then Paul Orndorff tries to ram Hulk Hogan into the steel cage, but Hogan lifts up his boot to kind of block the attempt. And then Hogan tries to return the effort by ramming Orndorff into the cage, but they end up ramming each other headfirst into the cage for that kind of like double countout spot into the ring where the ref would count. But because it's a cage match, there's no countout, so... We end up getting a little bit of a lull, and this is where the angle happens, where both men start dragging themselves to opposite sides of the cage. They start to slowly climb up over the top of the cage, and as they're working their way down, both men end up dropping off of the cage at the same time. We've got Joey Morella, who is monitoring Hulk Hogan's descent over the cage, while on the opposite side, we've got the pseudo-heel referee Danny Davis monitoring uh, the actions of Paul Orndorff and Bobby Heenan is right there as well. Both men essentially drop off of the cage at the same time, and we see uh, the only angle we really see is Ho the side with Hogan, and as soon as Hogan drops, referee Joey Morrell is raising Hogan's hand, but when we get a different camera angle cut over to the other side, and we see Paul Orndorff's hand raised by referee Danny Davis. So essentially, uh, both men believe that they've won, both referees turn to each other, and uh, the crowd's going nuts because they're not sure as to what's going on. Joey Morella attempts to go confront Danny Davis regarding his call of the finish. And Danny Davis actually pushes Joey Morella down on the concrete floor over by the guardrail. Hogan tries to uh, confront Danny Davis as well and start stalking him around the ring. Paul Orndorff and Bobby Heenan end up doing a lap around the opposite way. And Orndorff ends up throwing a high knee into the back of Hogan as he's stalking uh, referee Danny Davis. And the impact causes Hogan to his body to push and knock down Danny Davis. And eventually we see Danny Davis getting pulled out and taken back to the locker room by a couple of other uh, backstage officials. Eventually we see Joey Morella has recovered. And we hear on the microphone Howard Finkel announce that the referee has said that the match is, has ended in a tie, even though there really wasn't too much deliberation between the two officials. And we hear Finkel talk about how the referee is ordering that both men restart the match back in the cage and the match must continue. So we end up going to a commercial and we come back with... Paul Orndorff attacking Hogan, still on the floor from right before break. Orndorff ends up tossing Hogan into the ring through the door. 
And as Hogan or as Orndorff climbs back into the cage, he ends up ascending to the top rope. We hear Vince McMahon flipping out. Why doesn't Orndorff just escape? Why doesn't he escape? And Jesse's on commentary saying, well, because, you know, he has to have both feet on the canvas before the match is officially restarted and blah, blah, blah. So it was like, we don't know how to handle the match, but Jesse knows that both men have to be in the ring before the match is restarted. It was just a, the continuous bickering back and forth. It, it was great, and it added a lot to the match. I appreciated it a lot. Uh, Orndorff ends up going to the top rope and ends up jumping off on top from the top turnbuckle to restart the match with a big elbow to the back of a down Hogan's body. Orndorff begins to hammer away at Hulk Hogan uh, as the match is restarted, and eventually Hogan does his typical Hulk up. He ends up uh, Orndorff with the rights and the lefts and the chops, and Hogan just slowly gets to his feet, battles back. We see three right hands by Hulk Hogan to fire back, three hard chops by Hulk Hogan. Hogan ends up ramming Paul Orndorff into the cage three or four times. At one point, Paul Orndorff on commentary, it said he's split open. I didn't really see too, too much blood, maybe a little bit. We see Hogan with a big scoop slam attempt to Paul Orndorff, but he ends up dropping him over his knee for a backbreaker. Hogan hits the ropes and drops the big leg drop. Hulk Hogan then attempts to climb over the cage, but now we see Bobby Heenan has entered into the cage through the door, and he gives chase to Hogan, starts grabbing onto Hogan's leg to thwart him from being able to climb over the cage. Hogan ends up turning his attention to Bobby Heenan. He ends up climbing back down. Hulk Hogan ends up giving an atomic drop to a recovered Paul Orndorff and then sets his sights onto Bobby Heenan, rams Bobby Heenan very hard, who took a hard bump into that cage, and then Hulk Hogan is able to, un, without any uh, frustration whatsoever, is able to climb over the top of the cage, down to the floor, and win the match as Paul Orndorff is almost out, out the cage door himself, uh, attempting to beat Hogan's escape. Hulk Hogan wins the match by escaping the cage on the second on the on the restart of the match for the second round. Hogan ends up celebrating his victory by getting back into the cage and attacking Bobby Heenan. Uh, eventually beating him through uh, or doing an Irish whip through the corner and sending him out through the cage door um, out onto the floor. Hogan in the ring celebrating post-match. Hogan must pose before midnight. Another successful event uh, for the WWF Championship by Hulk Hogan. Is he turned into a pumpkin after midnight? How, as adults, do we have more connection with heels like i'm all more impressed with paul orndorff than hulk hogan here jesse ventura is fantastic on commentary vince annoys me bobby brain heenan is an icon you know like uh, everyone that we're loving is like we're loving heel work here not what the faces are doing it is it's just interesting um like you're saying for Jesse's commentary, he kind of saves the call of the match to give whether or not it's a legit explanation. It's an explanation that makes sense. Oh, his feet have not touched the mat or the mat. It cannot restart, even though he's already on the top turnbuckle. Well, geez, that makes sense. I don't care if you made it up off the top of your head or if that's a legitimate rule. That makes a ton of sense there. I accept this version of reality. Um, the, the, the line uh, there that Hogan wouldn't be champion if if Mr. Wonderful was bald is just tremendous. 
I'm impressed with how quick Jesse and Brain when he's on are with their commentary because it's not like it, yes the shows are taped but they're calling it live. It's not like they had time to like rehearse lines or figure out what they're going to say or anything for it. Incredibly well done angle I thought with them both falling at the same time, but it's Joey Morella is on Hogan's side. Even if Orndorff came down earlier, even if he came down a minute earlier, he's not going to see it from his angle. Like, so Danny Davis being there is almost necessary. I know it's the heel ref gimmick, but you, you do need two refs for such a match like this. Like he could do a legitimate thing here. And as we discussed before, the plan was that if Andre couldn't do WrestleMania three, Orndorff was going to be put in there. This match right here is the perfect reason you could put him in there last minute. Right. Match as a legitimate contender, you could say, oh, but by this, we have a third camera angle and it shows Orndorff touching first. Therefore, he deserves a rematch. Right. Easily do it. Um, and honestly, like, yes, Hogan versus Andre is iconic. I think a lot of people, that's what our generation, that's what got them into wrestling. That was built up so well. I would have been okay right now, though, watching all this with Hogan versus Orndorff. Absolutely. Work work weight rate wise, absolutely would have been a lot better. But you're right. Hogan Andre was, of course, the iconic match. Yeah, you had to. And um, the Orndorff bleeding there has got to be hard way. Yeah, right? like absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah, and, and it didn't even seem like anything bad it almost seemed like a, a pimple or a previous cut or something something else opened up there. It was just weird to see the blood on the Saturday Night's main event in the 80s at all. I was just kind of surprised by it. Um, nothing edited out or anything either. Uh, imagine the confusion of the fans in the arena, though, depending on what side of the ring that they're on not knowing who wins and it doesn't matter when music plays because they come out to the same music. Right, exactly. So it doesn't even explain anything also, going on here. And if you look at it, it does not look like Hogan is like attempting to communicate to Orndorff so that they can do like a countdown drop, like a one, two, three, and go together. It's just, they seem to time it well, or at least how it's of course edited for the audience. Um it, it's it's pretty great. It's it's really cool. I like that. Yeah, and, and Hogan is still trying and still capable of a lot at this time. There's been a few things where I've been impressed with him. He still had some speed and energy and, you know, wasn't phoning it in as much. Um, there's that legendary video. If you see work of his in Japan, you're like, I can't believe he's actually wrestling. Right. What the heck's going on here? And there's still some of that here, too. But God, Orndorff is incredible here. Good, fantastic match. So I know we're not really doing like top five just because this is a completely different beast. But this so far is probably the only one in my absolute top five. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun match. Uh, one thing that this made me realize is I love Bobby, the brain Heenan. Heenan's I great. Mean, so uh, I, I, anybody just, that just comes up with a Mount Rushmore of managers, there's no way he's not on it. Oh, he's, he's first choice. He would be all five, all four. <laughs> like he's just so good. Yeah. I like Fuji you, too. Fuji's you, you know, I don't know where this would fit better. And Hogan just wrestled Orndorff and everything. And then as we're going up to WrestleMania three, you have um, Andre previously we had Hercules Hernandez against Hogan and all your feud is not Hogan versus giant Hogan versus Orndorff Hogan versus whoever your it's feud Hogan is Hogan versus Heenan versus the Heenan and Heenan family. Absolutely. Yeah. It's Heenan's goal to get that championship belt off of him. 
it, it's like 80s cartoon. Yeah. You have um, Skeletor, Mumra, Cobra Commander, whoever that's the person in charge, but really they're sending their minions against the good guys every week. Right. It's funny you bring that up because, I mean, that's the formula Vince versus Stone Cold was. Right. Yeah, true. Just with a different dynamic of Vince being the boss. So it's a tried and true formula in uh, in wrestling. Um, so anyways, we followed that up with Mean Gene Okerlund interviewing Macho and Liz. Um, and then Mean Gene interviews uh, George the Animal Steel. Surprise! <laughs> What was what was the surprise? Steamboat. Steamboat. Well, I don't know his LJN though. Oh, Savage put a beating on. What was LJN. what did they call it? An LJN what? It was just an LJN figure. No, it was not an LJN figure. What was it? It was an they, LJN doll. They called it a doll. A doll, did they? Doll of himself, huh? Do you know now? Doll versus action figure is a marketing thing because boys don't play with dolls right they play with action figures and this goes back to the original like 12 inch gi joes from the 60s and all mm-hmm. but do you know that because of toys x-men are not humans they're toys they're in yes toys in the 90s had tariffs put on them when they're shipped over here and toys that look like humans were taxed differently than toys that were non-human so marvel comics went to court to argue that mutants means they're not human and thus they should be subject to the lower non-human taxes for all the X-Men toys they sold. Do you think they'll be... So when AEW Unrivaled Chris Statlander comes out, will I save money on the taxes? Or? Yes, yes. Okay. And, well, Luchasaurus right away. That Luchasaurus figure looks insane. Does look cool. Does look really <laughs> good. Does look really cool. Um, but yeah, so match number two on a card is the Macho Man Randy Savage with Liz taking on George the Animal Steel. Uh, what, did, what did you guys think of this one? I I thought it was a great way to reintroduce Ricky Steamboat back into the picture after the uh, angle with the off the top rope ring bell crushing his larynx. Um, fantastic way to reintroduce him back to the fan base and to now start planting the seeds for what will be a big match between them that eventually happen at WrestleMania. I'm wondering if George Animal Steel is smarter than we all realized, because uh, as Treats has told the story before on the podcast, and if you haven't heard, subscribe and listen to our back catalog. Um, George Animal Steel was working as an agent for a show you went to and scared you guys out of the locker room when you were back there as, as guests and everything. So he had some sort of agent backstage whatever business that he was doing i almost wonder if he was like geez we only got one woman working here i'm gonna book myself into an angle where i get to be next to her and touch her all right way to make it creepy Um, i'm i'm sorry i took a hairy neanderthal with a green tongue that speaks in one syllable words and made it creepy (laughs) we're already there I, I, I think, uh, Kevin, that uh, I think probably Kevin's right on this, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not even joking. I, I think yeah, anyone in power has has over the years abused said power um, to uh, manipulate and, and, and young actresses and, and young wrestling women and stuff like that. So it, it could very possibly uh, be the case there, um, Kevin. So I will agree with you on this one. Oh, my God. It's like my birthday here. Congratulations. Um, but educator, why don't you go ahead and, and break this one down for us? 
So we see Macho Man entering the ring with that glorious-looking Intercontinental Championship with Miss Elizabeth. And we see George the Animal Steel uh, working his way to the ring with maybe what is the surprise. Uh, It's an LJN action figure of himself that he hands to Elizabeth as a gift. Randy Savage is none too happy with that. And he ends up yanking that LJN from Elizabeth and throws it down on the campus on the canvas. And it just flies out of the ring somewhere. So maybe a fan ended up getting a free souvenir for the night of George the Animal Steel. Uh, But as Randy Savage had turned his back on the animal and flung that figure to the ring, he uh, George Animal Steel ends up attacking him from behind. We end up seeing George Steele picking up Randy Savage with a double choke lift and then toss him back down to the canvas. Uh, George Steele does a bulldog uh, by ramming uh, Macho Man's head into the corner turnbuckle pad. He ends up doing a scoop slam two different times to Randy Savage. George Steele ends up then turning his back to a downed Randy Savage and ends up climbing to the first turnbuckle. And he starts waving towards the dressing room as if he was to call someone to ringside. No one came at the time, and Randy Savage ends up interrupting by attacking George the Animal Steel while his back was turned. Randy Savage drapes George Steele's throat over the top rope and snaps the rope back to send George Steele crashing back first to the canvas. We see Randy Savage with a scoop body slam. Savage climbs to the top rope for a flying elbow, and unfortunately, the WWE edit, it does not come out as well as the original theme music that Ricky Steamboat had. But as Savage is climbing the top rope, ready to drop the, uh, the big elbow, Ricky, the dragon steamboats music ends up playing and we see a camera cutting to the entryway and steamboat in street clothes is running to the ring and he ends up stripping his shirt off and he starts taunting Randy Savage and distracting him. Savage is in disbelief because he thought he was, you know, permanently injured, no longer going to wrestle it ends up being where George Steele is able to basically slam George or slam Randy Macho Man Savage off the top rope due to that distraction back into the ring. We see George Steele tossing Randy Savage hard over the top rope, and Savage took a pretty rough bump because as he went over the top rope, flailing his body really hard, he ends up landing on the ring steps, um, his legs and his rear end on the ring steps. It looked like it was a tough bump. And, uh, yeah, Savage is out on the floor. We think uh, George Animal Steel is going to go out after Randy Savage, but he goes out of the ring and ends up scooping up Miss Elizabeth and ends up carrying her back to the locker room. Uh, I would imagine that that would have been an absolute count out because Randy Savage gets back into the ring. He's flipping out, wondering where Elizabeth is, where George Animal Steel is. At one point, he ends up climbing up to the turnbuckle as if he's going to leap off and attack Ricky Steamboat. But Steamboat is like ready to fight, ready to go. We eventually see a few officials, uh, more referees from the locker room end up coming down and are trying to like thwart Steamboat, pushing him back towards the aisleway, towards the back to the locker room. And we end up cutting to commercial. Back from commercial, we see George Steele run back down to the ring to return to the match. He ends up getting into the ring uh, and ramming Randy Savage into the turnbuckle. We see George Steele starting to bite uh, one of the top turnbuckle pads and grinding and tearing it open and taking the inside uh, soft uh, stuffing inside and grinding it into Randy Savage's face. 
We see Steel with the scoop body slam to Randy Savage, and then he goes to a second top turnbuckle and starts shredding that one apart as well, and again, grinding the stuffing into Randy Savage's face. Animal tries to ram Randy Savage into one of the turnbuckles, but Savage is able to put on the brakes and instead rams George Steele into that turnbuckle instead. Randy Savage with a bunch of stomps to a down George Steele. He ends up choking Steele into the top turnbuckle. Uh, Animal ends up fighting back and eventually starts biting Savage in the face. We hear Jesse Ventura on commentary. Why isn't the ref getting involved? Why isn't he stopping this? We see the animal ramming Savage into one of the destroyed turnbuckles and continues to bite on Savage's forehead. Savage eventually recovers and tries to do an Irish whip to George Steele and sets up for a clothesline. But as he swings for the clothesline, Steele grabs the arm and starts biting Savage in the bicep. Randy Savage ends up doing a clothesline to George Animal Steele in the back that sends him over the top rope and onto the floor. George Steele ends up on that bump landing on his feet. We see him dig into his tights and he pulls out a foreign object. He gets back into the ring and ends up taking that foreign object and hitting Randy Savage in the head with that, knocking Savage through the ropes and to the floor. We see the referee turn to George Steele and start like checking him to try to find out where that foreign object is or what it was that he hit him with. And George Steele ends up pushing the referee down to the canvas So you would think that would be a disqualification, but the referee's kind of down face first. And we see Randy Savage recover from the floor. He ends up grabbing the timekeeper's bell and ends up attacking George the Animal Steel from behind by hitting him with the uh, timekeeper's bell. With the referee down, not seeing that, he hits Steel in the back with with the bell itself, tosses the bell back out of the ring, rolls George Steele over, and the referee recovers and does a 1-2-3 pinfall victory. Post-match, Randy Savage attempts to take that timekeeper's bell and do a similar uh, throat thrust off the top rope like he did to Ricky Steamboat, but Steamboat does a second run in and stands over George the Animal Steel to prevent Savage from attacking, and we see Randy Savage uh, scurry back to the locker room. So I'm... I questioned earlier whether George Animal Steel is smarter than we all thought but in character for this match him using the foreign object and hiding it shows more intelligence than the character should be showing now I know he was healed previously because he turned on I think it was the first Saturday Night's main event when he did his face turn and joined up with Lou Obano so I'm guessing he had a history of using a foreign object as a heel and just continued it over when he turned face here. But just the act of hiding it, of using it, of knowing that he shouldn't be using it, of knowing to put it back, of knowing to turn his back to the referee. These are all marks of an intelligent individual, which is going against what the character is 99% of the time. Otherwise here. And it's, it just ends up being like such a, a gross character. I have to imagine that Vince McMahon loved it because we've seen McMahon's humor and things that they do for an audience of one over the years. I got to imagine George Animal Steel fell into that category when he rips open the turnbuckle pads and just has like the turnbuckle padding all over his hair. It's such a ridiculous look. It's funny. It's entertaining for a kid or someone with a childlike mind. Like I think Vince has at times, but then like, he's not biting Savage. He's drooling all over him. He's like salivating all over him. It's just such a a foul 
character but the guy that you know kept yelling out like he's gonna puke he's gonna puke must love steel's whole gimmick like it must have been like almost a pet project for him or just you know sit back and let the boss be entertained by this idea here and the way that the crowd reacted too, like I, the difference between who who sees wrestling at its peak that's just into it because it's the popular thing at the time and then smart fans like us and and most people that listen to us like did you think he was actually going to win this title did anyone actually think he was going to win it? And the crowd's reacting like, oh, yeah, we're going to see a new champion tonight. George Daniel Steele as our new Intercontinental Champion. No, you're not. That was never going to happen. I'm just, I'm becoming baffled by the whole gimmick here of, of George Animal Steele. Well, I mean, he did well for the company. One of their most top selling toys was that mine stuffed animal that he ended up carrying to the ring as part of his gimmick pretty much right after this. That's I have one too. Nice. Found it at a yard sale. No one knew what it was. I grabbed it immediately for like a quarter. So excited. <laughs> Mine. Mine. Nice. Got it from the mangler. He, he's still. <laughs> I got, I got a lot from him. Yeah. So anyways, moving on. Uh, what, what you hear that Kevin? What's that? I, I think that uh, let, let's go to the Educator <laughs> News Network to to, to to get a feed in. Uh, educator, what percentage are you at for your ACL injury? I uh, honestly, I think I'm working at about a 28 and a third percent capacity at this point. We're we're still we're still trying to rehab it here. We uh, we're trying to find out the results from the MRI. Um, not nothing official to confirm yet. Oh, okay, all right, and that has been your update from the uh, Educator News Network. Um, so, so moving on, we have, uh, mean Gene Okerlund, uh, interviewing Bobby, the brain Heenan with the King, the handsome one, Harley race. Uh, and then we get mean Gene interviewing JYD. Uh, well, what did you guys think of this dynamic here? It's so weird to see an NWA staple being pushed, uh, at least a new creation in Vince's eyes. Going from you know the tough Kansas City dark hair permed guy with the with the mustache and the goatee or the full beard and the mustache to now bleach blonde, it just it's such a different presentation to see Harley Race in this getup. Um, I like the fact that at least because I as a, a nine year old I I don't understand the idea of the gimmick why he's all of a sudden the king and whatnot. So now knowing the history. At, at least Jesse did mention on commentary, well, you know, the King has won all the King of the Ring tournaments that we've had. And, of course, Jim McMahon's like, well, there's only been two. And, and then Venter is like, well, how many do you need, McMahon? So it, it, at least there is kind of an explanation as to why he's the King. Uh, it's just an weird, weird to see this NWA staple in, in this kind of gimmicky thing. At least... Terry Funk, when he was doing his that first run, um, at least he was still Terry Funk, crazy, whatever, you know, Texan. This is a very, very different presentation for a Harley race, let me tell you. Is it, uh, hey, this is the rock and wrestling Hulkamania era here. We got a cartoon going. We got the LGN toys going. We need, everyone needs a gimmick 
to make it more appealing to toys and to advertisers and to merchandise and stuff like that? Or is it, oh, where did you make your name and fortune? NWA? Yeah, I'm going to just screw you over here because that's what I enjoy doing. Like Harley Race is not as um, is not hanging as bad a gimmick. This King thing, he looks ridiculous overall. But I can give it. I can be like, okay, King, best wrestler. Fine, I can roll with it. Dusty Rhodes and the Polka Dots, though. Oh, hey, here's the NWA champion here, and that's where you made your name. I'm going to give you the stupid thing, and then you get that over. So let me give you Sapphire. Then you give that over. You get that over, too, and I don't know what to do. I almost feel like Ric Flair came in, and he was just like, yeah, you are not pulling any of that crap on me. Right. I will not have it. Um, and, that, and that never really happened with, 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 you know, the horsemen when they came with Flair. When Tully and Arn came, the Brain Busters was really not that big of it. It's just, you know, they're a part of Heenan Stable and they're destroying and busting or whatever. And then even Barry Window as the Widowmaker gimmick, it's still kind of like the Texas. He was still wearing the Texas cowboy gear and all that stuff that he was known for wearing before. So it really wasn't that much of a jump for a lot. But I mean, this this is just this is a big departure from what everybody knew Harley Race was as NWA champion. Yeah, so that leads us to match number three on the card, which is JYD Junkyard Dog versus the King Harley Race. Um, So what did you guys think of this one? Um, Anything uh, of substance, really? Uh, I think more of this match was really not necessarily setting up a Harley Race JYD feud, uh, feud, but more of uh, it's a heel Danny Davis being involved and in planting more seeds of his blatant disregard for the rules and helping the heels achieve over the faces and being a distraction or a thwart to the faces. Um, I think this was more of just a, a more of a Danny Davis turn than anything. Now, um, was I wrong or did I hear Mr. Perfect's music for Harley Race? No, that's the great gates of Who's... kiev that's that's the original king king's music that's he had it haku had it um when duggan and macho were kings they didn't use that and then when lawler came in that was it's the same oh music. Geez. sorry that's what i'm thinking sorry said the wrong thing you're exactly right yeah um okay so he's king harley grace because he won the two king the ring yeah which were house sh- which were, yeah or house shows and there there was a whole bunch more since then uh, that were had. I mean, I think Bret Hart actually had won a King of the Ring in like 90 or 91 before the first tournament in 93. Uh, Savage had won one, which is why eventually they went with him being he beat Duggan for the crown on TV and so on. Okay, that's what I was going to ask because I, I always missed it. Like all of a sudden there was a new King. I was like, okay, I don't know why. Um, Harley Race, Duggan, Savage, Haku, uh, I feel like there's another one I'm missing in that thing. And I never knew if it was, oh, you have to pin the king to get the king title or if it was tied to the tournaments or what. Because I there's pictures of it from the old WWF magazines. I'm sure there's video, but I never saw an episode on like Superstars or Wrestling Challenge or Titans or whatever to see when this happened and how. So I was always confused of the transference of royalty. The only ones that were a transference is when uh, Duggan beat Haku and then uh, Macho beat Duggan. 
Okay. Those were the two that were tra- that were like transferred on TV. Race race was the initial. He got injured with uh, and we'll end up reviewing this in a future episode. He ends up getting injured on Saturday night's main event during a, a spot with Hogan and uh, with him being out and had to have surgery. They the this is after WrestleMania four. Now um, the the Islanders had since broken up. Tama had left and Haku was still around King Tonga. And they ended up because he was originally King Tonga before he started tagging with Tama and being a part of the Islanders. And they ended up going back to the whole idea of King of Tonga. Now he is King Haku to replace, to replace uh, Bobby Heenan's uh, Harley race. I like the uh, idea of if, if, the Heenan family, if it was just Bobby Heenan finding a new king every month, like Harley Race, then Haku, and then Corbin, like you just, you know, like one after another. I think that'd be great. So uh, why don't you go ahead, though, and, and break this one down for us, educator? So at the start of the match, we see a confrontation where JYD and Harley Race, they're kind of staring at each other. But Danny Davis is almost like right there in the middle. And. For whatever reason, JYD starts jawjacking with Danny Davis, and Davis kind of is like giving it right back to him. And Harley Race just gives a vicious right hook to the face of JYD to start the match. And it was just crazy. He ends up dropping JYD with that punch and then a quick elbow to a down JYD. Goes for a pinfall attempt. Regular cadence by the heel referee, Danny Davis, gets a two count. We see Harley Race with an Irish whip into the corner. Uh, or into the ropes, I should say, and Race hits a running, jumping knee to knock down JYD. He hits a second knee drop, bouncing off of the ropes to JYD's forehead. Jesse Ventura goes nuts on commentary, how much of a fan he is of watching him drop that knee after uh, coming off of the uh, the side ropes there. Race goes for another pinfall attempt, still only gets a two count. Eventually, JYD battles back. He does a corner Irish whip to a Harley Race, Harley Race ends up going shoulder through into the post itself. We see JYD hitting a big headbutt that knocks Race uh, back onto the canvas. Race eventually gets up and does a blatant rake of the eyes to stun JYD, and then he hits a belly-to-belly suplex to take JYD down to the canvas. Harley Race stands up, and he pivots away so that he can do one of his known moves of a falling headbutt where he literally just falls face first forward to drop his head. But in this particular uh, match and doing that falling forward headbutt, he cracks JYD, but Harley Race gets the worst of it because JYD just sits up and no-sells it. And even on commentary, Vince is like, why would Harley Race do that? So Harley Race pretty much knocks himself and hurts himself worse with that headbutt. JYD immediately sits up, turns around, gets on all fours, and starts charging around the ring on all fours and does a couple of doggy bunt headbutts to Harley Race to continue working on his head. Uh, Ends up, JYD uh, does a corner Irish whip to uh, Harley Race that sends Harley Race up over the top rope onto the floor. While Harley Race is on the floor, we see JYD go out to ringside. He picks up the king's crown and the royal cape. He brings it into the ring. He ends up putting the crown on his head, takes him a moment to figure out which side's which on the cape, but he puts the cape on for the most part, and he starts parading and prancing around in the ring, and it gets a huge pop from the crowd. Uh, commentary, Jesse's saying how despicable and disgraceful that is, and and Vince McMahon's just going, going along with it, how great it is, how hysterical it is. 
Bobby Heenan gets frustrated with the actions of JYD. He gets into the ring and he attacks JYD from behind right in front of Danny Davis. Danny Davis is watching the whole thing as Heenan is punching, throwing forearms and whatnot. And he doesn't call for the bell. Instead, JYD ends up grabbing Bobby Heenan after there's no DQ call whatsoever. And he does a big wind up and hits a big soup bone right hand punch that just sends Heenan for a three quarter cartwheel backflip back into the ring. We see Harley Race in the background. He has recovered from his spill onto the floor. He ends up climbing onto the top rope and ends up hitting JYD from behind with like a forearm or an elbow, leaping off the top rope onto a standing JYD. That knocks JYD to the canvas. And we see Race drop three elbow drops to a downed JYD. And right around the third one now, we start to hear a bell from the background, but we don't see the referee, Danny Davis, calling for the bell or anything. It's just like the timekeeper went rogue and just called for the bell itself. We see Harley Race and Bobby Heenan just double teaming a downed JYD, uh, stopping him, continuing to drop Race, dropping elbows and knees. JYD is announced as the winner by disqualification. Heenan and Race just continue to work on JYD. At one point, Bobby Heenan standing behind JYD has got his both arms double hooking uh, his JYD's arms. Race is trying to force JYD to bow down, but JYD is able to fight back. He ends up essentially knocking Heenan out of the ring, but Race is able to scurry through the ropes onto the floor before JYD is able to actually get a hold of Harley Race. In the process of doing so, Uh, the referee Danny Davis kind of waist locks JYD to hold him back from leaving the ring to attack and escaping Harley race. And like JYD's like, what in the world is going on? He turns his efforts and realizes it's Danny Davis. And he puts his hands on Davis and gives Davis a big headbutt, knocking Danny Davis down. Ventura's going nuts on commentary as to how he should be fined and suspended for attacking an official and so on. Um, but at the end of the match, we see it's a disqualification win. Uh, the winner, JYD. It feels like Harley should have won this match for that whole segment at the end. Like, I've defeated you, and now you must bow to me. And I know that we're leading towards WrestleMania 3 match setting up, so I, I understand the storyline. But he still could have gotten the win and gotten that storyline because the whole point was that JYD went at bow to Harley race. But I also wonder, like, as we've discussed, Harley race coming as former multi-time NWA champion, junkyard dog having certain good hot runs, but not near that, not at that world champion level here in WWF. I almost wonder if there was some sort of, debate on who should lose to who here some sort of issue or problem maybe um you know would vince say that a former nwa world champion coming in should lose to quote his guys here counting jyd as one of like his guys would harley race say i'm not losing junkyard dog you know he's i'm former champion all it just the dq is odd and maybe the only thing that makes sense is because you got the whole danny davis angle which kind of takes over, uh, you know, and seems a little bigger for it. Uh, like you're saying, he's he's watching stuff happen and just not calling for a bell, not doing anything. A timekeeper, about, you know, whatever. They're possibly going rogue later on. I just wonder 
I wonder if the match would have ended differently without having to do the Stanley Davis angle here. You know, if there would have been a DQ sooner or, or a double DQ or any number of things that could have happened instead, or referees distracted, he, you know, Heenan or Harley race, like say hits junkyard dog with the crown and then gets the pin, but it's tainted pin. It just, the match seems more about Danny Davis than the actual competitors involved here at all. So during this match, the one thing that, that stuck out to me, um, and it, you kind of alluded to it, Matt, was the commentary of Vincent and Jesse with Jesse, you know, talking about the King of the Ring and stuff like that. I, I really like this team of Vince and Jesse. Like, they go well together. They do. Um, um, where, where would you guys rank them? Because I think when you think of, obviously, you have JR the King, Monsoon and um, the Bobby, brain. Right. Who's third? You're going to think I'm crazy. Um, I thought Joey Styles as a one man booth was great. I thought he did really, really well for what, I mean, he had to work with. I don't know if he would be in that maybe in the top three or, or if there was going to be a Rushmore of commentary teams or whatever. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Joey Styles and his work that he did both in ECW and what he was able to try to accomplish in his time with WWF, WWE, whether it was the ECW reboot or his time on Raw as he was like Heyman's replacement or Lawler's replacement when he was out and so on. Um, I, I obviously he, uh, McMahon and, uh, and Ventura, they're kind of like the 80s duo for the Saturday night's main event. We've seen Heenan in there a few times with McMahon. I mean, Monsoon and he and Heenan are always known for their primetime wrestling, as well as um, I guess probably primetime, maybe wrestling challenge, which I think was like in our markets, I was like the Sunday syndicated show. Um yeah, I'm gonna and it's probably not gonna be popular opinion. I'm gonna stick with Joey Styles. For I, I very much appreciate Joey Styles. I think he's done some things phenomenal. If he had a constant co-host in ECW, co-announcer, I think he could have teamed up very well with someone to to form a true partnership. Um, or even in WWE, where it just seemed like he had a job, but he was kind of shoved down. If Joey Styles and Paul Heyman could have clicked together, I think Paul Heyman's fantastic as an announcer. When he showed up to do stuff on Raw, he you know, um, any number of times that he's been on the mic calling matches. I've always thought that he did very well. Uh, I liked Matt Stryker when he was doing announcing. I thought he he knew a lot of the moves, a lot of the backgrounds. He was throwing in pop culture references and little nerd references and everything. I thought he could have become something. Jerry Lawler and King are iconic. But honestly, I think there are too many stupid gimmicks. King never changed with the times. Jim Ross has a habit of saying something stupid a couple of times a year now. So there's a little bit of like taint around it right now, but for years they were uh, the iconic broadcasting team. Um, and because I can hear, I can hear them listening right now. So I'll say, and then there was uh, this indie guy named Leonard F. Chikarsen that did well. Yeah. I'm curious as to, uh, what uh Chikarsen would think actually what what his ranking do you know kevin off the top of my head i don't 
And now for me too, I know everyone always brings up Gordon Soli, but I'm just not familiar with his work. We're just that. past no. it. It's yeah. nothing against him. We're just past no. it. I'm interested in hearing either of your opinions on Shivani and whether it's Shivani's year run that he had in 89, 90 with WWF or even the Nitro era when he, the early Nitro era when it was him and Bischoff or him and Bobby all the way through. I, I, for Shivani, I think for me, like I, I, I like Shivani, um, but he he's just kind of there, which I guess for your for you, you don't want to overshadow, right? Like, right, you know, and I think Shivani be, because he, especially for when I was really into wrestling in the WCW, it was the three man booth, and you don't get that partnership that you were getting, and you don't get that chemistry. Uh, between the three guys instead of two. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, Kevin, it's time for you to leave the podcast. No, but as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, no, I got to pull these words back. I, 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 you know, I think Shivani's good. Um, I think, you know, towards the end, I think, you know, Kevin brings up the fact like, Oh, Jr. You know, makes some mistakes, and and I'm not holding that against him. I'm just saying for the attitude error, he was great. With Shivani, he lost his passion at the end. Yeah, oh, you know, you know, he was just kind of going by the numbers. But we were talking about on the Halloween Havoc series, the the changing of okay, this team is pretty good. Oh, I like this. Oh, young Paul Heyman's in here. You know that sort of thing. So, um, you know, the announced teams are always interesting to me. But like I said, just going through this, I think Vince and, and Jesse are, have been, I think, entertaining. Absolutely. I like them a lot. Um, Just go back for the Tony Schiavone one. You mentioned Halloween Havoc. Tony and Jesse were fantastic as a partnership on Halloween Havoc when we did that. I think your Tony Schiavone commentary could be put on an XY axis of amount quality of Tony Shivani's announcing and is he having a good time? And and I think you'd have a nice little line there of these two things being connected. But the one thing, the one thing I will say with, with Tony Shivani is think about how many people that he had in the booth with him. And he wasn't, he was the constant. He was always good. Mm -hmm. I thought Um, I I did like out of the three men booth that they had, uh, it would have been what Shivani, Bobby and Zabisco. Right. Wasn't I, bad. I, I want to say those three, though, I thought that was a good dynamic for those three, mm-hmm. because, you know, Shivani really plays when you have a three man booth for most of the time. He played the straight man in it. Right. So. Yeah. So, you know, he he was the Seinfeld where everyone else was the goofy characters. So he was the straight laced guy that that had everything going. That would be my thoughts on it. But um, interesting. I'm sure we might hear some chatter on uh on Twitter or at odds about the, the commentary. Let's, so, let's not know. forget minus one. Yeah. Doing a great job on AEW dark commentating. What about a minus one Declan X booth? <sighs> just throwing <laughs> it out there. Just, just throwing it out there. Um, so anyways, after the match, we get Paul Orndorff with Bobby, the brain Heenan, um, you, you know, uh, mean gene then steps in talking with Heenan and, you know, Heenan's got the tape. He's going, He's going to go to Tony. He's going to show him the tape. It's going all the way up to Toronto, you know, because that's where the main offices were at the time. And it's funny Actually. because this event's taking place in Hartford. Right. Connecticut. Probably just go up the street. Well, your figurative uh, figurehead, you know, president of the WWF is, you know, old Maple City wrestling. 
So then we get Mean Gene talking with Jimmy Hart and Adrian Adonis. And then, of course, Mean Gene follows it up with Roddy Piper to set up match number four, which is going to be Roddy Roddy Piper taking on Adrian Adonis. Um, I did like the callbacks to the injury angle with Adonis that we saw on the previous or, or, or a uh, previous Saturday night's main event. It's always good. When we can kind of see that evolution of the storyline on the shows that we that we are watching at this point. Piper's not fighting for money. He's fighting for pride. And he's here to to take out Adrian Adonis and make sure that the, the feud is finished. Unfortunately, the uh, outcome of this doesn't lead that for that to be the case. Did uh, Adonis seem less flamboyant here than previously? Just seemed like angrier, more of a fighter than yeah. uh, the feminine level they were going for. He's leaner and meaner. Well, yeah. <laughs> Must be he found that Playboy Buddy Rose blow away diet. He he dropped some baggage and a purse, a matching purse. Oh. Um, I, I do want to say though, Kevin, um, to get out of a fight with Roddy Piper, how much money would it take for you? Because Adrian Adonis won't get out of it for a million. You can give him a million dollars. He's not going to do it. Uh, how much money would it cost for me to not fight someone? Yeah, a million dollars. Like specifically Piper or anyone? Uh, well, Adrian Adonis wouldn't do it for a million. I'd be willing to take like five bucks and not have to fight Roddy Piper at this point in his career. He'd kick my ass. Certain people, though, I kind of want to fight, you know. <laughs> Who's on your list of people you want to fight? I Hang think his, his name is Finlay. Um, most of the people that have blocked me online. And my brother. All right. So. Like Kevin Nash's quad? <laughs> Tear oh. it up. <laughs> no jokes, no jokes. Speaking of Kevin Nash's quad. Let's go to the Educator News Network to get an update on the ACL. Uh, Educator, what kind of percentage are you working with? Uh, I think we've downgraded. It's about 26 and two-thirds percent. As the Not show good. goes on, you know, the, the wear and tear on the knee. On all of us, really. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, let's go to match number four, the Piper versus Adrian Adonis. Educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? All right. We see the start of the match start uh, begin with Piper uh, taking his, his kilt off, and he ends up tossing it onto Adonis's head, covering his face, and he ends up attacking in a covered Adonis, starts biting Adonis in the forehead. Piper with a huge hip toss, and from one corner to the next, he ends up picking Adonis back up. And does a huge knee lift that sends Adonis over the top rope. And he does that double arm wrap up going over the top rope. And he's still kind of straddling the ringside apron. Eventually Adonis is able to get free. And Piper ends up doing another corner Irish whip that sends Adonis head first upside down into the turnbuckle. We see Roddy Piper with another corner Irish whip. But and Piper ends up holding on to a wrist lock that causes Adonis to kind of flop down and do some damage on his shoulder. Adonis ends up is able to recover and fires back with a bunch of left and rights uh, and starts digging his nails across Piper's chest. And he does like a claw hold to Piper's abdominal area. Adonis... Uh, with a right that is blocked by Roddy Piper and Piper fires back with a bunch of haymakers and then ends up driving Adonis face first into the canvas. Adrian Adonis is able to reverse an Irish whip attempt by Roddy Piper and ends up catching Piper into his goodnight Irene sleeper hold. Piper starts to stagger and fight and ends up creating momentum that causes both men to stumble through the ropes and onto the floor. Uh, Piper starts to attack, uh, 
Adonis on the floor, but Jimmy Hart comes around and gets behind Piper and Piper turns his attention to Jimmy Hart and ends up attacking Jimmy Hart. And the referee is now distracted with Jimmy Hart's involvement, who's now in the ring. And Adrian Adonis ends up picking up that spray bottle of perfume that Jimmy Hart had, very similar to the arrogance pump that we saw a few years later from the model Rick Martel. So this spray ends up, uh, Adonis sprays it multiple times into Piper's face and eyes while the referee was focusing his attention on Jimmy Hart. Adrian Adonis climbs into the ring. Piper is just staggering all over the place on the floor, blinded from the perfume. He can't see. And eventually, referee Joey Morella ends up counting out uh, Roddy Piper, and Adrian Adonis is announced as the winner. Uh, Post-match, Adonis is picking up uh, Jimmy Hart, and they're trying to leave ringside. In the ring, Roddy Piper gets back into the ring, is still blinded, doesn't realize that the match is kind of over. And he ends up hip-tossing referee Joey Morella across the ring. And Morella takes a pretty big bump from that hip-toss. We see a bunch of other referees come down with some wet towels to try to help Piper and wipe the uh, perfume out of his eyes and provide assistance to him as Adonis and Jimmy Hart leave back to the locker room. All right. So I liked the passion and energy of this match, the fighting. Adonis bumping like crazy, which we've come to expect, thankfully, though. Um, Piper getting all worked up when it's the stuff is sprayed in his eyes, attacking the ref and everything. Fantastic. Makes me want to spend money on this feud. And here comes WrestleMania three around the corner. And I, I remember that match vividly from when I was a kid and first discovering wrestling. But, you know, I've, I've been thinking the whole time though. And I remember that was Piper's quote retirement match. Um, I said before something seemed off with Piper. Was he injured more than he let on? You know, was was he already checked out for going to Hollywood or whatever? And then I'm like, it, it clicked with this match. No, boy, we point at WCW creative control as such a bad thing. But is anyone more protected than Piper in WWF? The man who is in, enti- in his entire WWF career had only one pinfall loss. Like he must have controlled this to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not losing to Adonis. I'm not Hogan's not going to pin me. This person's not going to pin me. He's incredibly protected for all of this to make him look good. And I'm wondering if some of the stuff that I saw before, I'm like, well, that seems kind of weird. I wondered what's going on. Is he said, no, I'm not losing. Figure out something else. A DQ, uh, a count out, a screwy finish, a tag partner getting pinned, anything else. I'm not taking the pin. Figure it out. And just let them be for it. Kevin, I know you earlier you brought up the point that, you know, the early, the older you got, the more you appreciate the work of the, the bad guy, the heel and stuff like that. Um, do you think that's let's get a little, little um, psychology in here. Um, do you think that that's because when you're a kid, you think humans are good? And then the older you get, you realize humans all suck. I think you like we're go... we're flawed people and we, oh, we all yeah. have I, our I mean... we all have our good moments and bad moments. But when you're a kid, you just think the best of everything because you're not aware of all the other stuff that's going around in the world. Yes, um, I think that uh, I mean, I'm not saying any side party anything here, but we're going through this massive once in a hundred years pandemic. And we looked to people that we elected to help and said, please help. And they went, no, 
and we just had a failure on all levels. So we're seeing that, that there are no real adults and there's no one really in charge and we're all just doing the best to get by. I also think there is a, the older you get, the more you can see the nuances of villains, of heels. One of the best things is to agree with a bad guy up to a certain point. Hey, Magneto, well, you're a survivor of the Holocaust and now you see your people get persecuted and you don't want to see it happen again. So you're trying to do everything you can to protect your people. Well, geez, that makes sense. And then he goes too far. Like you can see it to a certain point. There's a classic work. It's John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is, hey, this person threw me out of my home and cast me out into darkness and doesn't love me anymore and doesn't care. And I'm just angry at that person. Can't, can't you agree with me? Can't you understand my anger and frustration? Can't you understand me wanting to get back at them? And the story is the devil's fall from heaven and eventual, you know, battle against God. But you are with him up to a point is the creepy thing. You're like, yeah, I understand. I understand your point. I, I felt that way too. Oh, you've gone too far. Like best bad guys are ones that go too far, but that is a more adult nuance perspective. You're not going to get as a kid. As a kid, it's black and white and good guys and bad guys. And there's no shades of gray and there's no in between. But we're seeing wrestling right now, much, you know, kind of like in a Pixar way. Hey, these are for movies for kids, but we put a lot of stuff in the, for the adults as well. Hey, this is cartoony Hulk Hogan wrestling, but here's some nuanced stuff for the adults watching. So you can enjoy something too. Just kind of interesting how you, uh, you know, as we get older, the more we realize. It's kind of interesting that with all of my stupid remarks constantly on the show, every once in a while, I'm smart, too. You know, I thought that, too, until you patted yourself on the back there. So. Oh, I bury Horowitz myself. Yeah, you Horowitz yourself. So. Uh, so we followed that up with Mean Gene Okerlund. He's interviewing Hawk Hogan. And by the way, guys, Hawk Hogan's jacket. What a, it's fire. That's flames. That's got to be an old school chalk line. Love it. I absolutely love that check. It was really cool to see that. Have you ordered one for yourself yet? Treats? No, because I'm waiting for the, okay. Uh, I'm waiting for the Bobby, the brain. He blue, nah, fair, fair, the blue okay, one. Man. So yeah, it should be coming out any, I think in March it comes out. So it'll be uh, hopefully now. So <laughs> now that I think about it, uh, but anyways, that gets to our main event, which also brings us to our man, in the main event segment of the night, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for Kevin Hellions to break down Jimmy Jack Funk taking on Black Jack Mulligan. Who puts the man in the main event? It's Kevin Elliott. Who is the king of that nerd content? It's Kevin Elliott. Who has a Patreon to pay the rent? It's Kevin Elliott. Who used to work in a giant tent? It's Kevin Elliott. Like, I want to say I'd take a mulligan, but that would imply me making a sports reference. And one I don't entirely understand. All right. In our main event of the evening, former world champions. Now, now that makes sense for a main event. 
Jimmy Jack Funk versus Blackjack Mulligan. The battle for Texas. Oh, look, there's a woman referee. BJ, that's Blackjack. I'm just short for my notes here. <laughs> oh, God. BJ takes B- a look in, but keeps on fighting. Excuse me, these are my notes, not yours. All right, let's hear them. All right. BJ has spurs. 350 pounds BJ. Funk kicks in the corner. Whip, reversal, Funk into the corner. Clothesline from BJ. Funk over the top. Chase, Funk clothesline. Big back body drop by BJ. Mean Gene interviews BJ in the inset picture in picture thing. Back to the ring. BJ press slam. Punches. Funk flops. Funk tries fighting out of the corner. BJ takes him out. Off ropes. Big clothesline. Funk to the corner. Comes out. Elbow. BJ pin. BJ grabs the rope and tries to hang Funk. So is BJ the face here? That's when you're Kevin Hellion's main event of the evening. Yeah. Was, was Blackjack Mulligan the face, I guess? Uh, educator, what are your thoughts on this main event? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> the commentary right there from our uh, sidekick is something a little less than be desired, to be honest sidekick. with you. But you know, no. <laughs> That's that why we got to we got to get rid of this three man booth. We got to get rid of the three man booth, and <laughs> we've made it clear the weight that can be cut is definitely not the educator. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, this was, um, I guess, a reboot, but a failed reboot attempt at trying to get uh, some 70s nostalgia back here in late in the late 80s with the Blackjacks and this being Blackjack Mulligan, who, you know, we've already done commentary on a few of his son's matches, Barry Windham. And we are currently seeing one of his grandsons just go crazy right now in WWE with being Bray Wyatt. So looking at this, you know, it was a failed attempt, um, a very out of shape. uh, Mr. Wyndham here uh, doing what he can to try to be relevant in 1987 wrestling. And his run didn't last very long that I remember. So, I mean, was he the face here? Because faces don't usually hang people. No, he was the face. Yeah, he was a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Jack Jimmy Jack was always the heel. He ended up getting the Rockers fired their first time. He did? Yeah, Jimmy Jack. A little bar brawl kind of deal. Oh, I thought there was a cocaine first time, allegedly. Partying too hard. Party thing. partying too hard in the bar. Jimmy Jack smashed. Oh, okay. Convinced Michaels to smash a bunch of bottles over his head or a glass over his head or something. I don't know. All right, that's going to do it for this Saturday night's main event, number nine. What did you guys think of the show? Really no extracurriculars. I, I, I mean, there was no vignettes, no fun interviews. I mean, it was just, you know, five matches. Just five matches. And, yeah, I mean, I wish there was some kind of theme or storyline or something building to a bigger thing. I, I like the first two matches, and the Piper-Donis match wasn't too, too bad, but... Uh, the ending was rough, and the whole JYD King thing was really more of a Danny Davis continue the whole planting of the seeds of the heel referee gimmick. I mean, I feel like we we've seen the 
the goofiness, the silliness, the vignettes, vignette, whatever. And it's still on their late night USA shows too. So just have it here as well. Don't try to pretend something you're not. Um, that's going to do it from us. Of course, next week we're covering Saturday night's main event X. Um, Kevin, would oh, you no. like to know what your main event is? I, I need to be prepared for it so I can have more extensive notes and figure out my stupid puns for that episode. All right. So the man in the main event main event next week is the Iron Sheik with Slick taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So actually fairly good match there, Kevin. It, it sounds like it won't be bad, but I'm um, guessing. And this guy's airs March 14th, 1987. So really couple of weeks before mania a couple of weeks before mania um be interesting to see the final build for mania so uh, i'm looking forward to uh, to episode 10 of saturday night's main event uh educator what do you want to see the people out there thank you guys so much for tuning in as always we love your support want to say thank you to my two co-hosts tonight always fun to get together with you guys and reminisce about 80s retro and eventually 90s when we get there and uh, I look forward to our future episodes and talking about pre-WrestleMania 3 next week. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you to everyone out there uh, for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Maddie Treats. Of course, that is at Maddie Treats. I want a special thank you to The Educator for pretty much putting up a performance of a lifetime tonight. Injured, 263 three percent i think it was uh it's brutal just chugging along popping pills left and right um we may have to talk to you about that (laughs) just just throwing that out there so you know you are the educator of excess so um now we know why so anyways kevin hellions why don't you take us home tonight all right thank you guys for another great show thank you to the retro network for hosting us thank you to wwe network for our content that we watch thank you to richard reader and jason gross for our logo you can follow us across the internet at trn house show you can follow matt online at maddie treats you can follow me online at mass library MassLibrary.com is the home blog and uh go ahead and check out the show notes there for patreon for merchandise for all sorts of fun stuff and i mean these, these guys have threatened the entire episode to kick me out of the the three-man booth here so i need your help the fans help here so i can build my own uh commentary station with plexiglass around it much like michael cole did this has been a presentation of the retro network